the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many of us go through our lives hampered by painful memories. Seated deep within our minds, they can seem impossible to dislodge, and they can trigger tremendous pain and prevent us from thriving in our lives. According to today's guest, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, the more conscious of these fears we are, the more we can break free from their hold. She offers simple steps to face our fearful memories, learn from them, and successfully break free. Dr. Manley is a practicing clinical psychologist who focuses on fear and fear-based disorders such as trauma, anxiety, and depression. Her personalized approach utilizes transformational fear in the self-growth and healing process. She is the author of Joy from Fear, Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend. Welcome, Dr. Manley. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joan. It's a privilege. Thank you. So, Dr. Fear keeps many people stuck in life, but you say that we can learn to make fear a friend. Before we get into how we can turn this around, how do you believe fear holds us back in life? That's really the basic of my, the foundation of my work, Joan. Essentially, we have fear that's a realistic fear and fear that we are worried that if we're out hiking, a bear might bite us, right? Or, you know, attack us, something like that. That's a realistic fear. We have another side of fear that is irrational. And that is the part that I focus on in my work, that we have these irrational fears that are very destructive and they keep us stuck in life. Often these fears emanate from childhood, from parents or other role models who often don't intend to make us think unkind thoughts about ourselves, Mm -hmm. but often things get lodged in the psyche that tell us we're not smart enough, that we are not good enough, that we're not pretty enough or tall enough. And so they get stuck there and we go through life not realizing that that is fear at work. That's destructive fear. So doctor, if these thoughts, if these fears are stuck in our subconscious programming, the the part of us that is autopilot, that we don't even realize where we act and behaving in a certain way, then how can we take that destructive fear and make it constructive? That's the beautiful part, Joan. By becoming aware of another side of fear, what I came to term constructive fear, we can look at a fear, realize by talking to it, whether or not it's an irrational fear or an irrational fear. And by having that discussion with the fear, Mm -hmm. it becomes constructive in a way. It gives us a positive message. And then we can take it one step further. And that step takes us into what I call transformational fear. And that's where we actually begin to take action to change that part of our our life by having become more aware. So awareness then helps us to create a new pattern, create a new behavior. How long does it take for this type of change to take place? Such a good question, Joan. It is so dependent on the individual, and it doesn't have to do with intelligence. Some people think that, oh, I'm very smart. I should be able to get this. No, it depends on the depth of your childhood trauma, 
right? Because a lot of people have a lot more trauma stuck in them than they realize. It also depends on how high functioning you are in the emotional realm, how emotionally intelligent and capable of introspection you are. And some people just haven't cultivated that attribute in life. So it, as they learn to cultivate it and learn to become introspective, it becomes easier. But at the, And somebody can be incredibly intelligent, but not have the emotional awareness and the self-reflective capacity. That's key for this growth. And it is something no one needs to think, oh, I can't do this then. You know, I'm not very emotionally intelligent. You can become emotionally aware. You can become emotionally intelligent. And so once you do that, then it becomes natural. You just start becoming more self-aware, which is a really beautiful thing, because the more self-aware you become, the happier you tend to be. And also you tend to get on with others better because you're not coming from a more egocentric place. You're actually really in touch with how your life and your interactions are affecting others. So if deep-seated trauma could be at the root of all of this behavior, and we're not even aware of these traumas, what advice do you offer to help us become aware? What are some things we can do to get to the root cause? Such a good question. I tell people, take a journey with me into your most significant childhood memories. And often people will say, oh, I don't remember my childhood. And that's okay. There's something called childhood amnesia. We often don't remember things before about age seven. But often people will recall something highly significant. And I give case study my book, Joy from Fear. And there is one case study in my book, and this is not an uncommon theme, by the way, where the man recalled his father distinctly telling him repeatedly, you will never amount to anything. Everything you touch will turn to crap. Mm -hmm. And so that was hard. And once this man, this adult, began to realize that he was living his life with that script running in his head. So even though he was successful in the business realm, his personal realm had taught him that he was going to be a screw up. And he was just always waiting for something at work to go wrong and something in his personal life to go wrong. Again, coming from this, he had a really traumatic childhood, much more than he was able to appreciate when he came in to see me. And then he realized that here's his hero, his role model, his father, giving him constant messages about what a defective person he was, which wasn't true. So these types of messages come from family members. They come from loved ones. As you were sharing that story, I was thinking about what our kids today are experiencing through social media and all of that 24-7 communication. When you're given those types of bullying statements or or, you know, I see on social media, people have, they don't have a filter anymore. They just say what they're thinking and they don't care who it hurts. When you have that type of trauma in your life on a daily basis, what is going to happen to our kids when they get older? I'm going to read you a quote. The rate of major depression symptoms increased 52% in adolescence from 8.7% in 2005 to 13.2% in 2017. And that's a really stunning statistic that really speaks to what you're talking about. Social media, I'm a fan of technology when we use it wisely. I am not a fan of technology when we let it infect our lives in a toxic, mindless way. And that's what ha what is happening to our children. That's why those statistics are so stunning. Because when we look at how the brain develops, and the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until the 20s, until we are in our 20s. The brain's not fully myelinated, meaning the insulation, until you're 25. So children's brains soak in what they hear and they believe it. Unlike adults, well, we sometimes do that too, right? <laughs> but children are much more susceptible. And so what's happening is children are on social media and they're seeing a beautiful model or a wonderful sports star or a neighbor who seems to have it all together and whose pictures are airbrushed or this or that. And they think, I'm defective because I don't look like that. I'm defective. My life is messed up because my family is not like that perfect family. And these messages, what I call 
the toxic disease of comparison. They make it into the psyche and they live there and they just make the child feel extremely anxious, often depressed. The other part that research is showing that technology is playing a huge part in disrupting children's sleep. Children are not getting sufficient sleep anymore and the statistics are alarming. And what is that coming from? Largely technology. Children's cell phones are in their bedrooms, their computers are in their bedrooms, they're being woken up by texts, they're up at three and four in the morning, you know, texting their friends, and they're not getting sufficient sleep. And again, research is showing us the importance of sleep and how it's now at epidemic proportions. And when we look at teenagers and sleep statistics on teenagers, we're in the over 90% of teenagers, ninth to 12th graders, are not getting sufficient sleep. So as we all know, when we're not getting good sleep, we're edgier, we're grouchier, we're more susceptible to, you know, emotional fluctuations. So I think all of this is a huge issue that needs to be addressed. As parents, what we can look at is what can we do? What can we do? Well, one of the things we can do is take control of technology. And so that's the important thing. And again, I don't want to get really too much into statistics, but there is some research out there showing that with both millennials and um, older adults, Almost 50% when they were surveyed believe that technology interferes with home interpersonal relationships. Everything that you've said so far in this conversation, it is alarming because you could see the vicious cycle. Our children are getting involved with this these external messages at a younger and younger age. You could have children seven, eight, nine years of age getting this messaging and then It creates, as you said, that deep-seated trauma that then translates into this fear that they experience when they're older. So it is a very alarming situation. It is very alarming, Joan. And the other piece I don't want to leave out, two pieces for listeners who want to understand more about how impressionable a child is. I don't know about you, but when I was young, I believed in Santa Claus. I believed in rainbows and leprechauns and fairies. Why is that the case? I believed my dad was a superhero and that my mom was too. Why is it that way? It's because of the way the brain is formed and how the prefrontal cortex, where we logic through things, comes on board so much later in life. So if readers and listeners understand that, then they can say, oh, well, then that makes sense. So my child has that same type of impressionable sponge-like brain. And when he or she is seeing children cyberbullying, that is all making it through in a very unfiltered way. They are not capable of filtering it as an adult. They are not capable of looking at a movie star and saying, oh, well, you know, her life really isn't like that. You know, it's not all glamour. She doesn't really look like that. They aren't able to understand that. In fact, many adults don't realize that. So that's a really important piece to understand is what the child's brain is like. The other important piece is to understand that, I don't know about you, but I grew up, even though I was in a very busy family, I grew up being connected to human beings, connected to my siblings, to my, you know, nature, my bicycle, playing and doing charades and that sort of thing for hours on end, really interacting with live human beings. And then now you look at children, what are they connecting with? They're connecting with a technology device. Mom is busy. Her back is to them. She's trying to do 3,000 things and tend to her own phone. You know, dad is coming home tired from work. Mom's tired from work. And the child is essentially interacting with a cell phone or a computer far more than with the eyes and loving attention of another human being. It's time that we, we, we notice this. Doctor, when we experience these types of traumas that we've been talking about, a a natural protective method is to try to bury them or repress these emotions. Mm -hmm. When that happens, are we actually giving this trauma more power over us? Yes. Yes. Easy answer. So what do we do then? What do we do? What we do is if you are, and, and here's what I liken that to, because we've all had a splinter, right? 
And when we bury a trauma, it is like taking a splinter that is festering, right? And it just wants to come out and come to the Mm -hmm. surface and have you take it out. But what about if we just keep pushing it back under and then put some band-aids over it? We're going to make a massive infection. We really will, because the body wants to get rid of that. It's the same with the psyche. So if we are aware, we become aware, something is not working right for me. I'm self-medicating, I'm self-soothing, I'm engaged in these toxic patterns. That's the, the psyche's call to you. Listen to me. So what do we do? We can reach out for a psychotherapist and begin to work on those issues in psychotherapy. We can, if we can't afford psychotherapy, we can try to find a spiritual or religious group that feels supportive. We can also do bibliotherapy. And so I encourage people, if something in your life is not feeling right, if fear is keeping you stuck and holding you back, address it. There are more people than you know suffering from the same or similar issues. Reach out, get help. Create energy where you can work with others on your issues, and you will find healing by doing that. You will only find pain by compartmentalizing or pressing it. The book is Joy from Fear, Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Manley and her work, you can visit drcarlamanley.com. That's D-R, drcarlamanley.com. Doctor, in our final moments, very quickly... Can you leave our listeners with an exercise that can help us to release a fearful memory? Absolutely. I'll try and make it simple and quick. There are five steps. So first, observe and detach. Notice when an old fearful memory is coming up to plague you. Just notice it and observe it. Really key is that you not be judgmental. So you observe the memory as though you're watching a movie and then you just Practice detaching from it, stepping back and watching it again like it's a movie. The next step, step two, and again, this one we really want to work without judgment. Notice any negative thoughts or beliefs that come up as this is happening. This is your personal narrative. So as you watch that movie going before you, you might be thinking, oh, you're incompetent. Oh, What a, you know, weakling you are. Or, oh, nobody loves you. Just notice the narrative. Again, notice it without judgment. Your third step, allow your feelings to arise. You're going to have feelings as you're watching this movie. Maybe sadness, maybe anger, maybe sorrow, regret. Just notice the feelings as you're watching that film. Notice if your body's feeling tense, flushed, you know, just notice the feelings. And then again, notice the feelings and allow them to move through you. And often we'll want to hold on to the feelings, especially if it's anger. Just notice it and let it move through you. This is really powerful because now you're learning that you don't have to hold on to it, right? Fourth step, start to let go. As you begin to notice these memories and they'll come up one at a time and sometimes repetitively. Imagine that you have a dark balloon, one that you can't see through. Put the memory in the balloon, just stuff it in the balloon, put the negative thoughts, the negative beliefs in the balloon along with it, and then set the balloon free. Just watch it float far, far away from you. And as you do that, you'll notice that you feel lighter. And again, depending upon how toxic and deep that memory is, it may come back again and again. Here's the secret. You don't let it haunt you. You just release it. Whenever it comes up, release it. Do that process. Fifth step. Now you have a space in your own being that has been vacated increasingly by this negativity. So now you have the chance to put something positive in its place. So I want you to envision a beautiful balloon, one that's clear, that you can see through, translucent and lovely. I want you to learn to put in positive messages to create the truth in this balloon, positive messages and positive images about how wonderful you really are. 
and you might see yourself putting in that balloon thoughts about how kind you are, how good you are, how amazing you are, how resilient, courageous, right? And then put all of that along with comforting image. It might be an image of, you know, a religious icon or the flower, something that gives you joy. Put that into that balloon. And then you get to hold on to that balloon, you get to tie it to a chair, you get to put it on your wrist, and imagine just carrying that with you, because that is your truth, and that is joy. And as you continue with that process, you will begin to feel clearer, more free, and definitely more filled with joy. It just takes practice, and you deserve that. Dr. Manley, thank you so much for sharing with us. So many of us are afraid of being afraid, and your work, it it helps us to become mindful of our emotions so we can move past the fear. So thanks for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a joy to talk with you and to share, and thank you for spreading such good messages. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Are you tired of prescription drugs and surgery as the only options available for your pain? I was too, but after working for over 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry, that was all I knew. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctors told me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery, I found another solution, a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength, and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years, I could run without Advil. In addition, I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Give it a try. Learn more about my journey and this amazing gel by visiting JaniceCoviello.com. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a transformational life coach and reinvention expert who helps her clients move through life challenges and transitions with purpose, passion, and clarity to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss strategies to ease your way through challenges and transitions. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. So, Linda, change is inevitable in all aspects of life, and they say the only thing that's constant is change. And while we know this intellectually, the majority of us are still so resistant to change. How do we release some of this resistance in order to make it easier to move through the changes that life throws at us? Yes, we all know change can be anxiety-provoking, 
overwhelming and stressful. Couple this with the fear that change causes, and naturally we feel resistance. The first step in creating a positive outcome from a difficult situation is to stop resisting. So how do we do that? One of the first things I encourage people to do is pause, take a deep breath, and remember you've been through other changes before and survived them. So you know you have the skills to do it again. We get so caught up in our current struggle that we often don't stop to recognize our strengths. It's really helpful to note all the challenging situations that you've successfully come through. List the things that worked for you in the past and the things you might do differently going forward. This simple act helps you feel more confident and certain that you can make it through the current transition as well, even if it's very different from anything you've ever experienced in the past. This bolsters us and helps us focus less on our stress and fear and more on our strength and fortitude. We're much more resilient than we initially give ourselves credit for. This really helps to point to our strengths. It's important to recognize this. Once you stop resisting the change and begin to accept your new reality, you can begin to create the best outcome for yourself in your new situation. I invite you to create that scenario in your mind and imagine yourself there every day using all five of your senses. Science has proven that daily visualization plays a key role in helping you actually create the physical reality you desire. And that, too, helps you release resistance. It's a universal law. What we think about comes about. What we focus on expands. So utilize the incredible power of your subconscious mind and your imagination to envision the changes you desire. Would it be helpful if we could turn off the frenzy and relax into our creativity? Oh, absolutely. So one of the ways to quiet our minds and turn off the frenzy is to use the practice of meditation and breath work. Now, some people feel they can't meditate because they have a monkey mind, meaning they can't turn off their thoughts long enough to sit still and meditate. And the truth is we all have thoughts running through our heads at all times. That is called a healthy brain. Even longtime meditators struggle with this. So don't let that stop you. Finding just a few quick minutes a day to settle down and consciously follow your breath is enough to create some peace in your world. You'll soon see how quickly this begins to settle your nervous system so you can engage your creative subconscious mind in the important process of envisioning your best outcome for the situation you're in. Taking some time to be mindful and meditative and doing some breath work sets you up for a successful visualization session and it helps you come up with solutions to problems you might not have otherwise found. What are some of the other key strategies that are often overlooked or underappreciated that you would recommend that can help us get through that uncomfortable change or difficult transition? Well, there's actually a few things. Be sure to surround yourself with positive, upbeat people who love and care about you. And please do accept their offers for help. Family and friends really do want to help when they see us struggling. Don't deny them the privilege of helping you. It makes them feel better. It helps you get through a tough time. And it forges important bonds between people. We were created to be in community. Don't try to go it alone when you're moving through a challenging transition. Some people believe accepting help makes them feel weak or vulnerable. I think those who can gracefully accept help are brave and humble souls. Next, be gentle with yourself and prioritize self-care. This is often overlooked. One of the scariest aspects of letting go of the old and welcoming the new is, of course, fear. We must gently protect our vulnerable selves in order to give birth to our courageous selves. Be sure to get the sleep you need. Schedule self-care. Do something that temporarily removes you from all the stress. When we feel rejuvenated instead of depleted, change feels less intimidating. Our creative minds are more available for problem solving. And here's the biggest benefit. Our perspective switches from dealing with a challenge to finding hidden opportunities in our new reality. Use these strategies to reduce stress, create clarity, and release the resistance so you can move through life's changes with greater ease. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit her website, livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. We'll be right back. 
Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Stop texts. Stoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Most of us have encountered aggressive people and difficult confrontations. When faced with anger, we tend to react emotionally, either withdrawing or responding with matched aggression. Today's guest, Douglas Knoll, believes that neither approach brings peace and understanding. He's here to explain how to successfully and efficiently calm an angry person or diffuse a situation. Doug is an internationally recognized mediator and peacemaker who specializes in difficult conflicts. He's the author of De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Welcome, Doug. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. Great to be here. So, Doug, no one is immune to being part of a difficult situation. We've all encountered that one person who really knows how to push our buttons. So what do you believe? <laughs> right. It's true. And, you know, I actually did the other night at a meeting. I wish I had read the book before that night. So <laughs> what do you believe are the biggest mistakes we make when dealing with an angry person? The first biggest mistake we make is that we listen to their words. And when we listen to their words, because that's what we're trained to do from the time we're small children, their words trigger us. We become immediately reactive uh, and either defensive or aggressive, as you said, ourselves. And now we're sucked into the conflict vortex and we have no ability or let me let me just say very limited ability to get ourselves out. And we have to recognize that when people are emotional, when they're, when they're very angry and insulting and disrespectful, the thinking part of their brain, their prefrontal cortex is completely shut down. They are, they're operating on programming that was programmed into them when they were children, and they are being completely reactive. And so we have to have a different approach if we want to successfully get them calmed down to solve whatever the underlying problem is. And that's what I've been able to develop uh, over the past 15 years in my, in my mediation practice and in my prison project. So, and that's the secret. The secret is learning not to listen to the words. And you know, Doug, what some people, they may do what what I tend to do is I, I don't like confrontation. I don't like to argue. I tend to just withdraw, ignore, and yes. avoid. And so that's not a good practice either. No. Well, conflict avoidance is a very common tactic that people unconsciously adopt. And sometimes avoidance is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not. But avoiding conflict in all cases is disempowering because that's how bullies basically get their way. Or people, that's how disrespectful people get their way. And and that's not right or just or fair, Uh, nor is it moral, nor is it nor is it polite. So we have to be able to have the skills that when we decide that we have to really calm somebody down to get to a problem. We have to have that skill set. So so conflict avoidance is a tool. Aggression is a tool. Violence is a tool. And de-escalation is a tool. And which tool you want to use in any given moment is going to be determined by context and and the situation and your own your own particular um, needs in that moment. So just recognize that these are all tools. And the more tools we have in our box, the better equipped we are to deal with these very difficult situations, particularly angry, disrespectful, and insulting people. So, Doug, let's talk about your process. What are the three essential steps? Step number one, ignore the words. We've been trained from the time we started speaking, and even before then, to listen to the words because we're taught that the words have meaning. But in this situation, for the this 90 seconds, those words mean nothing. So ignore them. Because if you listen to the words, they're going to trigger you and you're going to get in trouble. So just ignore the words completely. Step number two, pay attention to the emotional experience of the speaker. And that means that 
you're going to be looking for all the emotions that are there. Because typically when somebody is enraged or angry or insulting, there is more than one emotion. Emotions come in complexes. They come in patterns and groups. There's never just anger, for example. So you're going to be looking for anger. You're going to be looking for somebody feeling disrespected. You're going to look, be looking for sadness, fear, anxiety, grief, shame, guilt, um, and then way down low, deep, 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 uh, a sense of being unloved and abandoned. And all these things are all happening all at once, but it's all being presented, let's say, through an intense emotion such as anger. So you're going to guess at the emotions. And then the last step, which is the counterintuitive part of all of this, and this is the part that it's easy to say, hard to get, is that we're going to reflect back the emotions we're guessing at. We're going to reflect them back to the speaker using a very simple use statement. So I would say, hey, Joan, you're really angry right now. You're really frustrated. You feel completely disrespected and unsupported. Um, you feel like you've been treated really unfairly and uh, you're a little bit anxious about what's going to happen and you have a lot of sadness and grief that you seem to be all alone in the world. So by doing that, mm -hmm. thing, you're basically acknowledging that you're understanding how the other person's feeling. You're not battling exactly. them. You're validating them. Exactly correct. And what, the, what brain science shows us, especially through a 2007 study by Matthew Lieberman at UCLA, is that when people get very emotional, their prefrontal cortex shuts down. When we label back their emotions to them, we, we, we give them back their emotions, reflect them back in these very simple use statements. We're literally lending them our prefrontal cortex so that they can process the emotional experience. And what the scanning studies show is that when we do this, the emotional centers of the brain immediately quiet down. I mean, it's almost instantaneous. It's, and it works every single time because that's we're hard. Our brains are hardwired for this. So that's why this 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 skill is so powerful and, and so effective because it's working with the brain, not against the brain. It's working with how the brain is hardwired to receive information in this moment. Extremely powerful. So, Doug, we ignore the words. We guess at the emotions and we reflect the emotions back. What happens next? So. It depends. Two things can happen. Well, two, a couple of things can happen. First, if if you are successful the first time through, in other words, the person, whatever it is, you're successful and you de-escalate, you're going to see four unconscious reactions. Again, this is outside of consciousness. People don't even know they do it. One, they're going to nod their head affirmatively up and down. Two, they're going to give some kind of verbal response like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> I might even shout it out, right? Okay. Okay. Three, th there's going to be a dropping of the shoulders. And four, there's going to be, be a big sigh of relief. And they won't even know they're doing it. You're watching for those four unconscious reactions. When you hit those reactions, you know that you're getting them de-escalated. If they persist in yelling and screaming and doing whatever they want, you just stay with them. Follow them like a horse and just keep reflecting back the emotions. And you may have to reflect back the same emotion over and over again. You're really angry. You're really frustrated. Man, you are really enraged. Man, you are really hot and angry. You just have to keep with them. And eventually it will penetrate. Now, after 90 seconds, if you're not getting anywhere, this is not the time. <laughs> Back off and say, hey, you, you know, you need let, let's let's just take a pause and and take a walk and take a deep breath and hopefully and then come at it again in five or 10 or 15 minutes. But typically you can deescalate somebody in 30 to 45 seconds. And there are other situations that happen. For example, people block. So you we've all had situations where a person has just told us the same. They tell us a story. They're really emotional about it. They get to the end and then rewind and tell us this, you know, exactly the same words and do it all again. That's called blocking. Mm -hmm. Typically, that means we haven't touched the, uh, deep enough in the emotions. And that's when we're going to get into sadness and grief and being unloved and feeling abandoned and that sort of thing. Um, so it just means you got to go deeper. So there's a lot that has to go on in a short period of time. You need to try to understand what's going on with the other person and remove your ego from the equation. That's right. Well, it happens automatically. That, that is removing the ego. And that's a really cool thing that happens. The benefits of the speaker is that you get them calmed down. But there are huge benefits to you as the listener. The first is that you're completely empowered. And when you're focusing on their emotions, there's no room in your existence to get triggered by their words. So you feel completely empowered, centered in control. You feel no anxiety. I mean, it's amazing how quiet you stay inside yourself in, in the face of this hurricane of words that are coming at you. The second thing that happens, which is even more remarkable, is that for the time that you're actually reflecting back the emotions, your ego dissolves. And you've experienced this transcendental oneness with the other person. It's the, it's the most bizarre experience. And it lasts for about 15 or 20 seconds, but it happens every single time. So the practice almost becomes a spiritual practice mm -hmm. in that your, your ego is dissolving. And all of a sudden you just, you feel 
like, you know, you're just this being out there doing this stuff and there's no ego involvement at all. It's, it's a very cool experience and it's very unique to, to this kind of a skill use. It's very powerful. Now, Doug, parents deal with these types of situations on a regular basis. Does this all work with children? It not only works with children, it's essential to use it with children. And the reason that it's essential is because from about 18 months of, of after birth until about four years old, the emotional centers of a child's brain are maturing. The child has to go through a whole range of emotional experiences in order for the brain to understand how to link up the affect that's occurring inside the brain. That's what we call the actual physiological neurons firing in the brain feeling what's going on in the physical body and then how we how we make sense of that which is what we call emotion the labels we give such as anger and rage a child has to learn all this stuff and build a database of emotions if we tell a two-year-old boy for example don't be a sissy grow up don't cry what are we telling that little boy about emotions we're not allowing him to build a database of emotions that's going to allow him to be a healthy functioning young man and at 15 years old when he starts getting arrested in girls there's a train wreck going to happen so what we should be doing is when a when a when a child has a tantrum for example rather than yelling at the kid and telling him to shut up we should be saying you're really angry you're really frustrated you're not getting what you want you just feel really thwarted and nobody's supporting you and you don't feel loved stuff like that Right. The kid right. will quiet down in about 30 seconds, say, yeah, and now you can problem solve. Now you can say, okay, let's sort through what the problem is, appropriate to the age, of course. It's brilliant with children, and I submit that if parents did this with their kids, they would be teaching children emotional intelligence at a very young age, and their kids are going to be so much happier by the time they get to school age. It's amazing. And I think, Doug, you know, a lot of the problem with communication is, People just don't listen to each other. We're so worried That's about right. the next thing that we're going <laughs> to say that we don't even know what the other person is trying to convey to us. And so That's I correct. think this is brilliant because it forces you to become an active listener and a participant in a dialogue with another person. That's correct. We, we talk about, I, as I teach you this, I talk about you, uh, the tracks. There, you, you have your own track and the other person, the speaker, has his or her own track. When you are doing this kind of listening, you are going to stay on that speaker's track. You're never going to lift that train off and put it onto your track. So it's very different from conversation. And the rules are different. The rules of listening are different than the rules for conversation. If I'm truly listening to you, I can interject all the times, whatever emotional experience you're having, Joan, and I can say, you're really frustrated right now. You're really angry or, wow, you're really scared. And I can interrupt. If it were conversation, you would think I was being very rude and impertinent and patronizing. But when I'm listening to you with emotions, you experience a very deep empathic connection with me. And, and as I say it, you experience being listened into existence. The book is De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less by Douglas Knoll. If you would like to get more information about the book or Doug and his work, you can visit DougKnoll.com. That's N-O-L-L, DougKnoll.com. Doug, thank you so much for being here with us. As I said, I wish I had read this book before I was in a meeting the other evening, but I'm really <laughs> glad that I have now because, you know, you've given me tools that, that can change my life and so many others. And I hope everyone will get a copy of the book, Deescalate. It really will make an impact on your relationship. So thank you. Thanks, Joan. Thanks for having me on the show. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Is your blood pressure on the rise? Hi, I'm Dr. Kyla Pacino, a chiropractor and founder of Health on Main, located in Little Falls, New Jersey. Here are five tips that may help you lower those numbers. The American Heart Association recommends dietary changes and weight loss as a method of lowering your blood pressure. So speak with your physician who can help guide you through this process. Research has proven that caffeine in excess can cause elevations in your blood pressure. So be sure to keep your caffeine intake limited to one to two cups per day. Reduce your stress level. Being able to identify your stressors and actively work on reducing or eliminating your stress is a great method of lowering your blood pressure. Add exercise to your regimen. Light cardiovascular activities such as power walking, jogging, and swimming are a few examples of heart-healthy exercises. Consistency above all is the best form of treatment. Alter your personal schedule to include proper eating habits, exercise, rest, and relaxation. Because changes don't typically happen overnight, make a plan and get yourself an accountability partner to help you through your journey. I'm Dr. Kyla Pacino. If you or someone that you care about is having problems maintaining a healthy blood pressure, please give our office a call. I can be reached at healthonmain.info or call me 973-832-6722. Let's find a solution to this issue together. 
Have you tried conventional medicine or even alternative practitioners without seeing or feeling an improvement in your health? Have you experienced a negative impact in your personal life, in your relationships, or even your finances as a result of health issues? Are you afraid that in time, your health issues are not going to get better and will probably continue to worsen unless effective changes are made? Hi, I'm Sarah Outlaw, and I'm the lead nutritionist and practitioner at Natural Health Improvement Centers of South Jersey and Des Moines. If you answered yes to any of all these questions and you are ready to commit to making the changes necessary to begin your journey to wellness, our offices are here to help you. We invite you to participate in our Natural Health Improvement Program. This program incorporates the process of nutrition response testing to effectively find the source of the health problem and give us the tools to help you correct it. What we do is called nutrition response testing. It's a non-invasive way of testing you for food sensitivities, immune system challenges, metals, chemicals, and even scars that could be interfering with your nervous system. We call this root cause nutrition. This non-invasive way of muscle testing was actually founded by Dr. Freddie Ulan of Ulan Nutritional Systems, and it is the most effective way that we have ever found to find out what's really going on in someone's body. To schedule an initial consultation or for more information, Please visit either one of our websites at nhicdesmoines.com or nhicsouthjersey.com. If we are not near you in either Iowa or New Jersey, then please visit the main Eula Nutritional Systems website for their clinician finder, unsinc.info. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. your health. Joining us today is Alexis Brink, president of the Jinshin Institute located in New York City. Alexis has been a practitioner of the art of Jinshin since 1991. She has taught self-help classes and workshops in New York City as well as different countries for many years. She has taught Jinshin in hospitals to nurses and to teachers and their students in the public school system. Today, the Jinshin Institute, under Alexis's guidance, offers a comprehensive curriculum to a new generation of practitioners and teachers. Alexis is the author of The Art of Jinshin. She's here today to discuss Jinshin for relief of the side effects from cancer treatment. Welcome, Alexis. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be on your show. So, Alexis... People who are undergoing cancer treatment, they tend to experience some pretty debilitating side effects. Can Jinshin help to improve the side effects of cancer treatments? You know, thank you for asking this question. Um, I've been working a lot with cancer patients who are undergoing treatment, and it's very, very helpful. Jinshin balances uh, the body's energy, and when the energy is depleted and the energy is cannot flow freely in the body, then our immune system cannot function optimally. And this is very much what happens with side effects of chemotherapy and radiation. So yes, I teach all of my clients to self-help that they, that they will do on themselves every day. And then they come to me for maintenance and we boost our immune system and it helps with red blood counts and white counts and the deep fatigue and all of it. It's very, very helpful. So Alexis, in addition to helping with those side effects, do you believe that it can help cancer patients stay cancer free? You know, we work with the energy. So when the energy is up to speed and the energy moves freely and uninterruptedly in the body, the body can heal itself. And we know that we know today that because we've heard a lot about it and there's a lot of teachers like Deepak Chopra who talks about this, that on a cellular level, we change very quickly. So yes, I do think so. Alexis, can you share with us something that our listeners can do at home to boost their immune system? Yes. Uh, one is, uh, it, it seems to be that uh, cancer patients after treatment, they get very, very tired. And the palm of the hands, they help to give you energy. So you can place your hands, it's, it's our prayer position. Or even think about when you shake someone's hands, the palms touch. So um, you can place your fingertips on your palm 
and hold it for a few conscious exhalations. Or you can place your hands in prayer position. In, I have these holds in my book, uh, The Art of Jinshin, and I have uh, all of these flows in there from simple finger holds to complete flow patterns. And there's a flow called the main center source, and I'm just going to share with you the first step of that. And you place your right hand on top of the head and the left hand between the eyebrows. And that helps the pineal and pituitary gland, and it gets the whole system going. Alexis, thank you so much for joining us. You have cancer are three words that we all fear hearing, and you're giving us another tool that we can use to combat this disease. If our listeners would like to get more information about Alexis and her work, or if you'd like to learn more about her new book, The Art of Jinshin, you can visit jinshininstitute.com. And as always, to hear more from Alexis, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Alexis. Less than 2% of America's population volunteers to defend our nation. Though we rarely see them, we live the benefits of these heroes' sacrifices and the freedom we know and the safety we feel. Each and every day, the Gary Sinise Foundation serves our nation by honoring our defenders, veterans, first responders, and their families. We do this by creating and supporting unique programs designed to entertain, educate, inspire, strengthen, and build communities. The Gary Sinise Foundation has grown because the need has never been greater. Together, we'll improve the lives of thousands of American heroes and their families day in, day out, all year long. While we can never do enough to show our gratitude to our nation's defenders, our veterans, our first responders, and the families who stand by them, we can always do a little more. Join us. Visit GarySiniseFoundation.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.